Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, folks, welcome to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Uh, Carlos, we have a full lineup today, man. We've got uh, we've got the great Dave Burkett, who did not go to the Super Bowl for the first time in I don't know how long, but he's going to he's gonna fill us in on a little bit, I guess, on the Lions. Mostly we're going to talk about, uh, what, the draft and Stafford's Hall of Fame case and Richard Sherman, whatever else Dave uh, wants the to say. The draft, it's it's not even March, and we're talking the draft, all right. We're, we're always, <laughs> the draft is a, is a year-round deal. Not only that, he was down in Mobile. For the Senior Bowl, right? So he he can probably give us uh, some thoughts on what he saw. I mean, he's at this point he's a coach, or at the very least he's a scout. Can we say let that? Me, let me ask: Is it Mobile or Mobile? Which one is it? Uh, mobile, Mobile. I say Mobile. You can say Mobile. I mean, if you want, you know, you you might say that. <laughs> okay, so, so yeah, so we're gonna have Dave Burkett. Then we're gonna get our new food writer, food critic, uh, Lindsey Green. We're gonna get her in here to talk about the the top ten new restaurants, the restaurant of the year. You know whether she likes the free press or not. I don't know, right? We'll, we'll we'll see how much she has to say, but that should be fun. How she came to those conclusions, um, you know, for anybody out there that likes to go out to eat, that likes food, that uh, cares about food, uh, we we got a we got a good one here in Lizzie Green. We're going to get to her in a bit, but but Carlos, let's start out with Dave, and um, let's ask Dave if let's just say this to Dave. Let's let's put this out there: Is Matthew Stafford a Hall of Famer now that he won a Super Bowl? Uh <laughs> no, I mean, that doesn't just make someone a Hall of Famer, you know, I mean, I know Carlos has like all this kind of like, sometimes Stafford love don't root for him. No, get he got robbed, whatever, you know, Carlos. Oh, my God, Dave, I can't the, take it. I Dave, I can't take it anymore. He's just trying to get clicks, I think. But well, of um, course he is. He sold his soul last yeah, week. He's, he's, he sold no. his soul last week, didn't he? Yeah, he's he's all over the map with it. But no, I mean, if you're being like realistic and, and if you look at the history of what goes on with Hall of Fame voting, uh, a Super Bowl championship does not guarantee someone um, you know, uh, enshrinement in Canton and look, Matthew Stafford will have a, you know, he'll have a decent case. I mean, he's going to finish his career with a lot of numbers and now he has a signature moment in the Super Bowl ring, but, um, you know, take it from someone who's been in the voting process for seven years now and sat in all of these meetings. Like it's not just about numbers. It's not just about winning a ring. It's really about, are you one of the best couple players at your position during the course of your career. And I don't think anyone could rightfully Stafford was that right now. He still has a chance to get in the hall of fame based on what he accomplishes going forward in his career. But right now I would say he falls short of being a hall of famer. Carlos, can I just throw this out there for both of you real quick? And I heard this is an interesting argument I heard yesterday that uh, if you look at the number of quarterbacks in the, in the hall of fame currently, and I don't know how, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it's not how many it's 27, 28, maybe 26, somewhere in there. So it amounts to about five a decade. So when we say, are you one of the best two through your career, that's not quite right, right? So if you think of a 10-year stretch, for, so the, from 2010 till now, 
is Stafford one of the best five or six quarterbacks? That would not include uh, Manning and Brady and all those guys, Roethlisberger, who you would put in from 2000 to 2010. Well, no, look, I mean, I, I wrote this the other day, right? The beginning of Stafford's career, he when he was a lion, he, he wasn't one of the best quarterbacks. It's Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and Drew Brees and uh, Aaron Rodgers and, and Big Ben, right? And I know, you know, Ben and, and Brady and these guys were sort of the end of it and, and Manning, obviously, the, the last few years. But now it's still Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes and, uh, you know, Josh Joe Allen. Burrow's ahead of him. Rodgers is still there. Rodgers just won his second straight MVP. So, it, you know, uh, Matthew Stafford, if he is, let's say five to be generous, um, but you know, not top five early in his career, you're not in the top 10% of players at your position. You're not in the top 15% of players at your position in the NFL starting quarterbacks. That is. And to me as a hall of fame voter, that's not a hall of famer. I mean, it's the hall of fame. It's not the hall of, you know, pretty good. What do you think, Carlos? All right. Let me, let me just, all right, let me say this. Okay. Let's there's a whole, Argument. I, I don't believe that Stafford is a Hall of Famer right now, but he's he's career like all time, 12th in yards, passing yards, 12th in all time touchdowns right now. He's going to play for probably at least five more years. He's going to probably finish his career when he's done somewhere around the top five. He's going to have won a Super Bowl. He's probably going to get to probably another conference championship, maybe another Super Bowl. OK, so. I totally agree with Dave and, you know, all pro and all decade teams and all this stuff that really matters. But Dave knows when you get in that room and you start listing the stats and all these other things, you know, and the winning. And here's the other thing. Richard Sherman went on a, a tweet rant yesterday and he had a whole thing about a podcast. And he was saying Stafford is not a Hall of Famer, citing basically Dave's stuff about no all pros, no all decade, no all this stuff. Right. And so he gets a response from a guy named Mike Sando. Longtime ESPN writers now with the Athletic in Seattle. Hall of Fame voter. He says, Hall of Fame voter. More importantly, Hall of Fame voter. He responds to Richard Sherman says he says this. He's not getting in as things stand now. But if he had your team's defenses his whole career, how many rings would he have? That is the crucial thing. That that is the argument that is going to be. There's going to be like fist fights, knife fights in that Hall of Fame room when you guys are talking because that's going to be the whole thing. Of, well, look at what he did with the Rams. If he'd had that, if the Lions, if he wasn't, you know, uh, jailed or, or saddled with the, no. the Lions ineptitude for 12 seasons, oh, he would have won Super Carlos. Bowls. He would have won all pros. That You know that's going to be an argument, Dave. Tell me it's not. Well, I mean, okay, he did have a first ballot Hall of Fame receiver in Kelvin Johnson for seven years of his career. In 2014, he had one of the best run defenses in NFL history. And Dominican Sue was with him for five years, who earned three first team all pro selections during that time, who was, um, you know, who, who will probably be in the discussion for a Hall of Fame, uh, uh, you know, jacket himself one day. So let's not pretend like he had no help. I mean, certainly the Lions, they did a lot of things wrong during his tenure. And um, you know, it, it stands to reason that, uh, you know, quarterbacks aren't, they can't do this alone. Right. But, you know, you talk about stats, Philip Rivers is sixth on the all-time passing list. I don't think Philip Rivers is getting in, uh, you know, Matt Ryan. How many is, Super Bowls did he win? Yeah. How but, many Super Bowls had Matt Ryan and Philip Rivers? Matt Ryan win? was an MVP. So he has, he has that over Stafford. Matt Ryan has more passing errors than Matthew Stafford. With better offensive weapons, one, Matt Ryan. One more season, one more season, and Matt Ryan has thrown for 10,000 more yards. So, look, if Matt Ryan and Phillip Rivers, if they get in, Eli Manning, even with a couple Super Bowl rings, if those guys get in, it bolsters Stafford's case because, obviously, you, you play the comparison game. But, 
Um, I, I just look, I, I think there's a lot more to it. And to me, maybe I'm, um, you know, maybe the, the, you know, I'm a little more caretaker of the, the hall than, than some people. I don't think you can get in with just being a good player. And I think, you know, maybe the, you know, maybe the, uh, the hall of fame has, has gone down that road a little bit too much. I sort of agree with Richard Sherman on this, that, that, you know, you, you, you tend to, you know, let people in whose cases are a little flimsier as, as things go on and they're, um, you know, in, in their weight, because some of these voters that, that I'm on the committee with, they, ah, we, this guy can't get to the, the, the seniors committee. We got to put him in now. There's a lot that goes into it, but look to me, yep. the most important things are, uh, you know, is he an all decade type player? You know, the, the all pro selections, like where does he rank amongst his peers as being one of the, the greatest at his position of his era? And again, I think that's where Stafford falls short. Now that's not the only way to to define a hall of famer and again numbers do matter some in big moments and you know super bowl championships what you do on sort of that stage and that's why eli will have a case and 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 what matthew did last week and really during this run will certainly bolster his case but um yeah i I think you know as things stand right now I'd, i'd still be surprised if Matthew gets in, even if he, you know, throws for another 15,000 yards or whatever it's going to be over the course of his career. I think, uh, okay, go ahead, Carlos. Well, just a little point about that is don't you think that, you know, time with time as time passes, right. And they're eligible five years after they finish playing, you kind of tend to look back nostalgically at things because once upon a time, Dave, you and I know this, I wrote about this recently was, when people toward the end of Calvin's you know career with the Lions, when Hall of Fame voters would come visit Allen Park, we'd kind of you know informally poll them. I think Sandals one of the guys, and you know what do you think is Calvin going to be? It went from is Calvin going to be a Hall of Famer to at the end is he going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer? That's what happens. If five years is a long time in the NFL, and and I'm I'm going to make a prediction right now, Stafford is going to retire at exactly the right time so that when his candidacy comes up, his first year or second year, there's no one that's really he's he's fighting with to get into the Hall of Fame with. Like so, and you know how it is. If you don't have another opposing quarterback who's being considered and the field's kind of empty in quarterback, you will give probably a little bit more weight to his candidacy, right? Well, um, I think there's a couple points there. Um, first, you know, on the, the longer that someone's out and you have to wait that five years and everything like, you know, Kelvin, I think as, as we watched Kelvin, right, it was clear that he was a a generational sort of talent, one of the best at his position and and his, the case against him was, was about, you know, the, the longevity or lack thereof and, you know, playing for the lions and never having any of those big moments, but ultimately his, you know, what he was able to do on the the field, you know, transcended that. I, I think, Again, having been in the room and, and voting, like I'll use Leroy Butler as an example, right? Green Bay Packers safety. He gets in this year. Like, so I, I certainly remember watching Butler, right? I mean, he was a Green Bay Packer and he played against the Lions in the 90s. And I was I was certainly a, a fan of the sport then and, and watched, you know, a lot of it. But I didn't know the game maybe like I do now, right? Know the, the league like I do now. So to me, as I look at that, that stuff, like, um, 
you know, Leroy Butler being an all decade team member was something that really spoke to me. Like, you know what, how is one of the, the guys that was voted first team all decade at safety, not in the hall of fame. So you use that as sort of the jumping off point. And then you talk to other people that played against him and around him. And I can tell you, um, certainly from some of the Lions, old Lions people that I talked to there, I mean, there were people that did not think he deserved to be in the hall of fame. And I, you know, some of these conversations are private, so I'm not really going to share stories about him, but I can 100% tell you that there were people that he went against with the Lions that were like good player, not a hall of famer. And so, but being an all decade team member and, and knowing some of the impact that he had and talking to other people who thought that, you know, that sort of convinced me that, okay, if, 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 when he was playing, if everyone thought he was that good, the best at his position, then then maybe he belongs in there. And that's what's going to happen with Stafford. Ten years from now, yep. it's going to be people who maybe, you know, all they see is the numbers and they don't they don't you know, they, they know he was a good player, but they don't know how good. And so that's when they look at the things like the all pro teams and they say, well, this guy never received an all pro vote. He was never an all decade player. He was. Yeah, he had that Super Bowl moment, but you know, he didn't stack up to these other guys. And so in even the one Pro Bowl, even though that's not something that we talk about a lot in the room, like I, I don't remember anyone ever being swayed by, by Pro Bowls, especially the way it's done now. Like those things will speak to voters 10 or 15 years from now when Stafford is on the ballot, guys that remember watching him, but don't have quite the context to, to put it in, into, uh, you know, how great he is. So I, I think, I think that that will hurt him more then you're, you know, in future years from now, then it does now. And, but you're going to also have people, if Dan Orlovsky still has a job at ESPN at that time, <laughs> oh, he's going to be stumping for Stafford. And you're going to have people reaching out to people who, you know, defensive backs who played for the Vikings and the Packers and the Bears. And they're going, oh, Stafford was amazing. He never got full credit. Oh, the things he did, the way he used his eyes, the blah, 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 blah. It's going to be kind of the Leroy Butler, maybe the inverse of that, of he didn't get the credit. And he was unfortunately stuck in the era of playing you know, behind, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. So he never got that recognition. Well, I mean, again, but if you're playing behind, if you never got recognition because you're playing in the same age as all these no doubt Hall of Famers, well, what does that say about you if you're not considered a no doubt Hall of Famer? And the other thing, let's let's make sure we point this out too about Calvin Johnson. He had a somebody giving a pretty good presentation on his behalf. Think, right? so <laughs> Just because you didn't want to have to present him twice. That's why. <laughs> that's right. Let's right. okay. Th th there's a lot to uh, sift through here. For, <laughs> let me just say this: what we're talking about is 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 mythology. We're talking about a narrative. We're talking about stories. When I think of Matthew Stafford, you know what I think of? I think of Brett Favre, who played with much better defenses, who had the same kind of interception rate, right? But who had a personality and had charisma, right? To me, Stafford has this. Until Patrick Mahomes, other than Aaron Rodgers. In the last 10, 12 years, Stafford is the, is the most fun, remarkable arm talent in the league. You know what? And, and to your point about Rodgers and Brady, Dave, that's like saying Charles Barkley to go to your sport. Charles Barkley and Carl Malone and Patrick Ewan aren't Hall of Famers because Michael Jordan was there, right? I mean, it's the same kind of argument. Those, Of course those guys are Hall of Famers. Matthew Stafford threw that pass, and you saw it. You you did too, Carlos. The, the no-look 22-yarder to Cooper Cup over the middle that was over the top of the linebacker or whatever and dropped it down in. wasn't even a drop. It was more of a laser. Looking one way and throwing the other, and people went crazy, even though he's been doing that kind of stuff at the end of games for a decade. 
you know, but Mahomes is the one that got the credit for that. And I know at this, a lot of Detroiters around here have been frustrated with that, and I don't blame them in a lot of ways. But to Carlos's point, it's that it's you're talking about Leroy Butler. He played with Brett Favre. Reggie White played with Brett Favre. Your point about the run defense in 2014. Well, who was in the backfield? Who was their edge linebacker that was in the Pro Bowl that was getting to the quarterback? Who was the? Who, and Stafford played with Aaron Donald, who's a no doubt exactly. Hall of Famer, and, and, Miller, and, and, and what happened? He wins the two best receivers in the league. And right, what happens? He wins the Super Bowl. I mean, that's the point. I mean, that's okay, exactly well, the point. He, okay, so I mean. Right. But the flip side of that is, look, Aaron Rodgers, what Hall of Famers has he been playing with in Green Bay? None. I mean, Devontae Adams is the best player he's played with. No other Hall of Famers. They win the division every year because of him. Matthew Stafford playing on teams that, again, didn't have as much talent as he did in L.A. this year in Detroit. They didn't win squat. He never elevated them to anything. Right. And, and so I think that's part of, of the argument against them, too, is that, yeah, he they, got a team to the playoffs with not a single Pro Bowl player. Now, you could credit Caldwell if you want and see it when they lost to Seattle. There wasn't a single player on that team. And oh, what no, do you do no, at the no, end no, of the regular no, no, season? No, no, they got to the play. They got to the playoffs. That's the first time in modern NFL history that's ever happened. Now, I'm not, and that's fine if you don't want to give Stafford that credit, give it to Caldwell, whatever. But it's just it's it's kind of amazing no, to again, Carl's is right. Stafford has always been a good player, but we're not talking about good when it comes to the Hall of Fame. We're talking about the elite of the elite, the very best in NFL history. And I just don't know that Stafford is going down there. Now, to your point about, you know, the um, the narratives. I mean, look, the, the narrative is and will always be the Rams thought they were a quarterback away from winning a championship and they went out and traded for Stafford and then they won it. So that will always be part of of his mythology right like they they thought he could lead them there and they got him and he did and so you know that's a storyline that will forever endure and that may help his his case one day um three straight comebacks right yeah what you just did and and i'm not you know again i i think he has he will have a case i just i don't i don't you know some people have have made this out to be like he's a lock now and he's going in and this was all that he needed and um, it, that's not, that's not, I mean, having been there, you know, having been sat in these discussions for the last seven years, that's not the case. He needs to do more. He's, he's not a hall of famer right now because there are other things that matter. People just look at the the yards and, and get infatuated with the numbers and, oh, we won a super bowl. We're living in the moment right now. Well, it's not just about that one moment. Those are the things that we talk about in those discussions. No, I would. And to your point about Rogers, look, I'm not saying he's Rogers, obviously, right? I mean, you, you might argue Rogers, the most gifted quarterback has ever played other Mahomes. Maybe, maybe those two just physically and, and right. I mean, it bears out, but you're talking about Pro Bowls, guy, Pro Bowls, Pro Bowlers with the Green Bay. You're you're locking in on Devontae Adams. What about the linemen in front of him? He had great offensive line play for most of his career. He where were where, Packers defense? Were, were they in the bottom? Were they like the Lions? No. Well, I mean, look, they were, yeah, they were early solid. On, they were top had, fifty. He had Woodson. I mean, they, look, I'm not saying he didn't have not even just that. Talent, I mean, he. But he had better coaching. Uh, no offense to the Lions coaches. I mean, it just all matters. I. I hate to agree with Carlos here, but it's true. What's true? Sorry. No, what that what, what Car- Car- Carlos's point about you flip out Russell Wilson and Matthew Stafford and what what's the difference? Well, I don't know. Is Russell Wilson a Hall of Famer? No, no, no. I think Seattle has more Super Bowls to Carlos's point. Um, they probably should have had a second one regardless of who their quarterback was. Well, that's 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 <laughs> well, the, well, the Patriots had a really good defensive coordinator who stopped that from happening. <laughs> Best play in history, right? Didn't, That's right. Somebody responsible for that, your boy? <laughs>
Yeah, I know. Well, I, know. I just it's, I just think that with Stafford, I mean, I think we all agree he's not a Hall of Famer right now, but he's going to play a few more years. The Rams are going to be good for a few more years, depending on what happens with Aaron Donald if he retires or whatever. But but they're still going to be good if he gets to another couple conference championships. If he gets to a Super Bowl, he's going to win playoff games. You know, he's going to play meaningful games. People going to see him. Nobody saw him in Detroit except on Thanksgiving. So people going to see him. And they're going to think, boy, he's actually, like we said, the, the no-look uh, pass, Sean. They're going to see more of that stuff. There's going to be more of an appreciation for him. He's going to have more, uh, maybe a little bit more hardware. He might be considered for Pro Bowls or All Pros or whatever it is. Probably not All Pro, but Pro, pro Bowls at least. Um, you know, that'll all add up, right? And, and that will just strengthen. And that's the one thing about the Hall of Fame, too. Nothing hurts you. You know, like you you rarely get dinged for, oh, he didn't score a touchdown in that playoff game in Seattle that Sean cares so much about. You know, that doesn't hurt you. What It helps you just the big moments help you. The yards help you. The touchdowns help you. The whatever, you know, the hardware. So running around the field, ripping your helmet off helps you, right? No, seriously. Not Antonio Brown that, style. No, um, but no, I mean. No, I mean like 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 Favre right, or whatever. I mean, to me, that's about. It's just Stafford's just such a vanilla. I mean, Carlos has talked about it on this podcast. Dave's talked about it before. You walk up to his locker room for a decade and you got absolutely nothing. And I and and I and I think that kind of stuff matters because we're human beings, right? And we like stories. We're storytellers, and we 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 get we're susceptible to that. We all are. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, for sure. Some it does of that matter. certainly could have helped his his profile when it comes to receiving some of those those votes. You're right. Look, I mean, I think we all, like you said, agree. You know, there's there's more to be done for his case. He, you know, certainly has an opportunity to do that. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go so far as to say that that's, you know, certainly going to happen. I mean, you know, injuries have been something. I mean, even this year, right? Rams went through that losing streak. He led the league in interceptions. There was a time there where it didn't look like, you know, he was going to and the Rams were going to live up to their, uh, you know, their uh, their expectations. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, they, they caught fire there at the stretch and, and in part due to, to match play. And uh, so he has an opportunity. We'll see where it all shakes out. I got one more question before we let go for both of you guys. So it's the chicken or the egg concept. Cooper Cup, right? He was good last year, really good. But then he has he has this kind of year this year. What's the difference? Is that Stafford or is that Cup just getting better on his own? Well, I mean, you know, the other thing I think that Stafford has – uh, you know, if I was making the case for him and again, as a Detroit, you know, presenter or voter in the hall of fame, I, I guess I would be responsible for that on, on some level, you know, um, receivers, Calvin Johnson, Golden Tate, Marvin Jones, Kenny Galladay, Cooper cup. Now, right. They, they all had the best seasons of their career with, with Stafford, you know, pulling the trigger. So, um, certainly there's, there's that argument to be made that, that um, you know, Matthew has helped elevate you know some of the uh, the people around him. But look, you know, Cooper Cup is 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 pretty amazing, right? He's pretty fantastic in what he does, and uh, that's certainly um, you know uh, you know he, he deserves both of those guys deserve credit for their their own uh, success. Matthew is is a really good quarterback, and he was without Cooper Cup. And I think the same can be said. Cooper Cup is and, and was a really good receiver, regardless of who's throwing them the ball. But together, they were able to do some special things. Yeah, I don't. Did Cup get in the end zone last year in the playoffs? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. I'm not trying to be snarky. I'm just. It's just a, you're right. It's it's the it, to use a Carlos word. It's the synergy, right, Carlos? Yeah, and I mean, you know, keep. I'd use Cup. a better word than that, but yeah, Cooper Cup missed no, the, the first word. Super Bowl run with a torn ACL. You know, so I mean, there was. Um, 
you know, obviously he he's had some things to overcome, but he had like a hundred catches each of the last two years before the, the Rams came or before Stafford came. So, um, you know, let's not pretend like he was, he, you know, he was some, some unknown who came out of nowhere. Now, again, he had a phenomenal season this year. I mean, you know, probably the best season of any receiver in NFL history. When you, when you include the playoffs, um, you know, and, and Stafford was a part of that. So I would not take anything away from, from Matthew and what he did to help elevate Cooper cup. But I, I think, you know, Cooper cup deserves, you know, flowers in his own right, because he's, he's a pretty, pretty phenomenal receiver. I mean, really the Super Bowl, right. Cooper cup and, and uh, Jamar chase. I mean, that might be the two best receivers in the NFL right now that, that we get to see absolutely. You know, in the uh, absolutely in the Super Bowl. And you know, you can make a case for Devontae Adams or you know, there's a few other guys in that, that conversation, but those two guys are really special talents. Any last thoughts, Carlos? I have just one last question for Dave. When you mentioned that Cooper Cup missed the the Rams first playoff or Super Bowl, is that basically the starting point of your argument for when Jared Goff comes up for uh, consideration? Uh, we'll see how many yards Jared Goff is going to. I mean, he's twenty six, right? You know, and, and I was talking to yeah, he's got a long yeah, way to go. So Jared Goff is going to finish with seventy thousand yards passing or whatever he's going to have in his career. You know, because he's <laughs> listen. You know, Jared Goff catches a lot of <laughs> a lot of flack, and you know, I've I've been you know critical of him at times. But I was talking to a coach yesterday. I was doing a little Ben Johnson story that that'll be up on Freep.com Thursday. Make sure you check it out. Um, subscriber only. Nice plug. And uh, you know, the 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 coach was, um, uh, you know, he he just said to me, he's like, you know what, you know, think about it with Jared. Like he's like, I think Jared's better than people give him credit for. There's like ten quarterbacks in the NFL right now that have been to a Super Bowl. You know what I mean? And and Jared is one of them. And so as much flack as, as Jared gets and no one is saying he's in the Patrick Mahomes, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers, even Tom or even Matthew Stafford uh, category of, of passer right now. Like, you know, maybe we we've been um, a little harsh on, on Jared. Now I, I think you guys all know where I stand. I think Jared is a, a solid quarterback, but you know, I think, you know, in order to have sustained success, you need a little bit more, but um yeah, uh, it'll be interesting again to see what happens years from now, right? Jared Goff played in a, a Super Bowl. He's got a few All Pros, and <laughs> if he finishes with seventy thousand yards passing, and you know he ends up being the Lions' long term quarterback, and you know will will people one day say the same thing about Jared Goff? I don't know. That's the uh, the beauty of this whole all these arguments that uh, we'll have plenty of years to to make them. No, this is really fun, and I, and you know what? You know, I, we're running a little long here, and I'm sorry. We're gonna have to apologize to our producer Ted Davis. By the way, we haven't mentioned Anjanette Delgado, and she might not like she might not like how long this segment is going. But since we've got Dave, and since this is timely, just real quickly, I want to get both your thoughts on this. Detroit was two tenths of a point away from being the the leading market for the Super Bowl, uh, for for the for watching the Super Bowl. Which is which is crazy. So what the heck will happen to this town if it's actually the Lions in the Super Bowl? Will will we just fall into a crater here? Will will we will we implode? What will happen, Dave and Carlos? Yeah, I mean, um, well, apart from me having to work a ton, which you know I wouldn't I'm always uh, you know write some. I don't know. I'm sure we would have a book ready to be published like the, the day after the Super Bowl. And, and there would be a drunk, stupid people. Fans would be in that for, you know, a week. It'd be a, just a bender from, you know, that starts after the NFC Championship game goes until the uh, the parade if they want it. But um, I, it would be, I mean, that just shows you how much 
A, people are starved for a winner here, and B, how much they love football and the Lions. I mean, part of it, obviously, was was sort of wallowing in, in self-pity, right? We had this quarterback for 12 years, and and we weren't able to, to, to win and, and do anything with him. And, and look at him now, and he's going to win a Super Bowl. And yeah, it proves the Lions, the organization, was wrong to, you know, in everything they've done. So there's, there's definitely some of that. But ultimately, I think this is just a, a town that that is starved for a winner, and loves football and and loves the Detroit Lions and and uh, yeah, if the Lions were ever fortunate enough to to play in that game and win that game, uh, man, it'd be it'd be some sort of party in Detroit for for a week on end. Carlos, oh, it would be it would be uh, cats sleeping with dogs, zombies roaming the streets. <laughs> I mean, I I wouldn't even want to be here. I I'd, I'd fake my own death or something. I wouldn't want to be part of any want, of this. It'd just be Canada. Canada no, and it, the U.S. would merge over the Detroit River. The tectonic plates would shift, and we'd, we'd all be <laughs> yeah. We'd all we could walk yeah. over the border. Right. I'd I'd walk north up into Windsor and uh, get out of here. I mean, it just I can't even imagine, you know, I mean, Sheila Ford would become governor. I don't know. It'd be it'd be insane. Um, Maybe Jared Goff, uh, you know, yeah. You know what? Well, here's the funny part, right? You're saying all this of, you know, oh, the Stafford remorse. I'm sure I haven't looked at the totality of social media, but I'm sure people are talking about, you know, if they drafted Aaron Donald instead of Eric Ebron, we could have had Aaron Donald, Calvin Johnson, Darius Slay, you know, all these guys playing together at the same time, you know, like basically you could have had the Rams with, you know, whatever they had this year. Uh, Aishan Aishan Robinson came a little bit later, but still, I mean, it's just, it it was right there. I asked Aaron Donald about that at one of the Super Bowl press conferences, just if he and Stafford had talked about that, thought about that concept, right? I mean, that should have been the Lions in 2014, yeah. 15, whatever, right? If if they had drafted Aaron Donald, they would have had Stafford and they would have had the best defensive player in the NFL. Really the two <laughs> best, because Indama Sue at that time was, yeah. you know, he was in that conversation for being the best defensive Dominant. player in the NFL. And you replace him with Aaron Donald, who is without question the best defensive player in the NFL, the best non-quarterback in the NFL, Man, that's uh, got it. One move, right? We talk about that all the time. How how close uh, things were, and and it's the same thing with the Lions now, right? I mean, it's part of the the losers' lament, right? You can always look back on the one thing, but man, had they drafted Justin Herbert, who I think is a phenomenal quarterback, we wouldn't even be having. I don't think those ratings would be what they were, Sean, because every you know the Lions would have their quarterback, and no one would be fretting what Stafford was doing, and maybe they would have had more success this year. And there's no, there's, there's so too many much, little there's things. Too, so. There's too much self-loathing going on around in this community, uh, and we're all part of it, right? There's, of course, we would have turned in. It wouldn't have mattered. Yeah, you know what I mean. But uh, <laughs> listen, listen, man, it's always fun to have you come on. We'd love to get you back here soon to talk about the draft, and we can. You and Carlos can argue about whatever you want. It'd be great. But uh, thanks for thanks for coming in, man. You got it, guys. We'll talk to you. Thanks, Dave. Okay. All right, uh, Carlos, uh, sorry that went a little bit long, but uh, that was fun. But we're going to take a quick break and come back with uh, Lindsey Green, Free Press's new food critic. My name is Kerry Jr. The second. I'm a podcast producer and reporter with the Detroit Free Press and now the host of Freep's new weekly podcast, On the Line. Our job is to understand the issues and the people that the issues affect in our state and region and tell the news. I want Detroiters, I want Michiganders, I want Metro Detroiters to hear themselves and maybe get a sense of peace in this podcast. Maybe not in the topics we're covering, but in the sense that we're the Detroit Free Press. And you can come here to know what's happening and trust that we're going to tell the truth, give you the facts, and do it authentically. 
we're going to give you the voices that are in those areas, whether it be in Owasso, whether it be in Petoskey, whether it be in Birmingham, Warren, Gross Point, Southwest Detroit. You know, we're going to give you what it sounds like to be there. So every Friday in your feed, wherever you get your podcast, when you press play, we want this podcast to sound like home. We want it to sound like Michigan. We want it to sound like Detroit. I think that's all I got. So let the journey begin. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, um, you know, that was a heck of a segment there with Dave Burkett, and it's hard to follow Dave, but I think we have the right person to do that here. Oh, yeah. Because as much as you, as much as we like football, oh, you love football. I, football's fine. I think, I think we could say food is uh, a lot more interesting. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Would you, would you agree with that? Oh, okay. Sean, you, you, okay. you, you and I know we talk about food all the time and, and everything that matters. You get into the, you get into the the marrow of food and the talk and the discussion and the mythology and the zeitgeist and you get you you play with food discussion the no, way that little the kids play with their chicken nuggets. So I know you've been looking forward to this. We've been talking about having our guest on for a long time. So we have we're we very have. excited. And she's been a, she's she's not wanted to come on for whatever reason. I'm not sure why because <laughs> she's listening to the podcast. Well, she probably has, and I think she was hired at the, by the Free Press back in the fall, October, or, or somewhere around November, there. I think. You know, November. Okay, okay, was it November? Oh, sorry about that. Well, look, Carlos, people don't want to hear from us. We let's bring in Lindsey Green, who was brought in to be our food critic, our food writer, all, all things with the food scene in Detroit, Metro Detroit, Michigan, the Midwest. I'm not sure how far out she wants to go, but we'll you know we'll we'll follow her as long as she wants. In any case, welcome to the to the podcast, Car- or excuse me, Carlos, it's Lindsay, it's good to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I definitely wanted to be here. So, so okay, Carlos, Lindsay just spent, and, and she, we'll let her tell us about it, but a, a fair amount of time coming up with the top 10 new restaurants and the restaurant of the year. For whatever reason, Tad kept saying restaurant of the week and the break. <laughs> And maybe that would be great for us if Lindsay wanted to give us a restaurant of the week, but I don't know that'd be great for her. But can you tell us real quickly how much time this project, uh, how, how long it took you and just what kind of work are we talking about to come up with 11 restaurants? Yeah, well, it's kind of the culmination of all of the work that I do throughout the year. And, you know, I started at the Free Press in November, but um, I've, I've been eating out for a long time. So I, and I know that, um, you know, I was preparing for this. I knew that this time of the year would come. And so uh, just thinking about when I'm when I'm eating out, thinking about whether a restaurant fits within the you know best new restaurants or restaurant of the year, you know, whether they're a contender um, is always in the back of my mind. So I would say it's 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 a year long sort of planning process. Um, but really, you know, I started at the Free Press in November, November 1st. Um, and, you know, kind of got my feet wet, just started, you know, I wrote a couple stories um, in the month of November, but really, I would say I hit the ground running probably in December. So uh, we just released, you know, this list over the past week. So what's that? Uh, a month or two um, yeah. focused on this. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's been it's been it's taken some planning for sure. Carlos, before I know you have lots of questions here, but just one quick question, Lindsay. Why was Lafayette Coney Island not the restaurant? Hmm. <laughs> 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 and by the way, American or Lafayette? Oh, let's just let's just get that out of the way. You know, I don't actually think I should answer that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a bad idea. <laughs> well, Carlos, because Carlos and I have that debate all the time. 
You know, I just I've so I've been in Detroit now for five, almost five years, not even five years. So I really just don't even know if I should be the person to make that call. It still okay. feels very much like not a Detroiter fully yet. <laughs> All right. So, Lindsay, I'm a transplant. I grew up in L.A. I've been here for a long yeah. time, but I just do not understand the obsession with hot dogs here i mean it's just i don't get it this is not the 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 food of detroit should be pizza i mean you cannot swing a dead cat and not hit a pizza place in detroit it's just everywhere every kind and we have obviously our own pizza right detroit pizza style i don't get the hot dog thing i don't get it it's I I actually think it's a Midwest thing. So I lived in Chicago before we moved to Detroit and I was only there for two years. But I mean, I felt the same way there. It was like pizza and hot dogs. is just like feels like a very Midwest thing. I mean, you know, I'm from New York, so I know about the street hot dog. But like, I don't know, it feels like a much bigger thing out here. (laughs) Just doesn't make sense. People ask Coney, why Coney? Like when they come to visit, like it's so hard to explain. Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's a way to cover for the fact that for most of the the, the country's history, nobody knew how to cook in the Midwest, <laughs> right? It, n- nothing but nothing but boiled meats and so forth, and you know, it's all the, all the all the Northern European influence, which of course is you know, I mean, we, we don't want to go all the way down that road uh, in this podcast necessarily right now, but yeah, let's just say boring. <laughs> how about how about that? You know, you go down to the South which is where I've spent a lot of my life, and the food is a lot different. So we don't have to just say, okay, let's go get pizzas and hot dogs. Anyway, sorry for that aside. It's fair. Lindsay. Lindsay, But um, so so can we just start with the restaurant of the year? Or Carlos, did did you want to start somewhere else? Oh, no, wherever Lindsay wants to start. I mean, it was it was such a, you know, you know, we, we do this every year. We've done this for a long time, but Lindsay just did a man- magnificent job covering the top 10 new restaurants. You know, they drop. I felt like they were dropping every hour. It was like a carpet bomb. Like, how was she doing? Like, I know you had time to do it, but it was hard to keep up with, you know, surprise after surprise. And I want to go there. I want to try this. And and then the restaurant of the year comes out in the Sunday free press. And and then we had restaurant classic John, uh, Sean's favorite Mudgies, you know. Um, so it was it was such a cool thing. But but I want Lindsay to go where she wants to go on this. Like, what, what restaurants do you want to talk about? You want to talk about the process? You know, you tell yeah. us. Yeah, I guess we could start with the process. I think to your point, you know, there's been so um there have been a lot of new restaurants that opened in 2021. And I think that was kind of unexpected. You know, you would think we're still in the throes of a pandemic, how many people are really uh, opening restaurants, but you'd be surprised that there have been, have been quite a bit. And so this process, what's been interesting about it is that we started with, um, you know, restaurants that opened in 2021. So you start with that list, but I wanted to add this layer of, you know, what really defines a restaurant as the best, you know, in traditional standards, it's typically great food, obviously a nice ambiance and, you know, outstanding service. Um, But I wanted to take it a step further and say, what are they doing to to go above and beyond, right? How are they doing things outside of the kitchen that are really impressive? And so by adding that layer of, you know, how is a restaurant giving back to the community or thinking about sustainability or thinking about diversity and all of these really um, important things that we're talking about nowadays and also things that are just important to really kind of healing the food industry, um, you know, how how are they a part of that conversation? And so that added another layer on my check list of um, what makes a great restaurant. So that part of the process, I think, was really fun. And I think it also was um, 
kind of a mission for me to sort of set a new standard. And like I said, kind of redefine what it means to be the best. How have, you, how have you, in talking to these folks that run these restaurants, how have you, uh, what's your sense about the way folks have rebounded kind of coming, I'm not that we're out of the pandemic yet, but but obviously it's it's a little bit better now than it was that first year. Lindsay, I was out picking up something the other day and I can't remember where it was and it was a, a person next to me. I overheard him saying, oh, it was, it, talking about the Super Bowl party. He said, oh yeah, we're going to have it at our restaurant, I guess, which was close to the Super Bowl. And then the he started. He went on to say, you know, believe it or not, the last six eight months have been the best six eight months we've had in a decade. Have you have you heard? Has that been kind of consistent with what you've heard out there? And is that surprising? It's been, you know, I think it's varied. It really depends on where the restaurant is. It depends on the size of the restaurant. It depends on, um, you know, earlier on. I, I would say a couple or maybe earlier on in the pandemic, I mean, it depended on whether they had outdoor, you know, abilities. So I think it, it it depends. I have heard in the past, I would say month or so, people are feeling um, for sure that, you know, they're, they're, they're filling up a lot more quickly than they were in the past. And also I think they're able to, um, to monitor it a little bit differently because now they're actually taking reservations. Whereas, you know, prior to the pandemic, you might've been a walk-in, um, you know, a, a walk-in establishment, but now it's like everybody is prepared for how many people are coming into the restaurant, which is also a, a nice way for them, them to measure things. So I do think, I, I do think that it's, um, I'm seeing that things are improving, but it does feel very much like we're, we're still, we're still in it. You know, they're still struggling. I don't know if there's a full rebound just yet, but I, I mean, I did speak to someone yesterday and they were really excited about their Valentine's day service. They were so happy that, um, you know, they booked out and they had a ton of, of diners in the restaurant, which was really exciting for them. So I do think it's, it's, it is shifting. Carlos, uh, you notice the restaurant of the year and what they serve, right? It's a Japanese restaurant. In Colossan, right, Lindsay? I want to say. Yeah, they're in Colossan. Sazai. So, Carlos was grew up with sushi, right? But when he was a kid, you know, you you could get it in Japan or Southern California, and that was about it. <laughs> but but here you are, you know, the restaurant of the year in Detroit, Metro Detroit, is um is a place that serves sushi. Can you kind of tell us why you decided on them and how that came to be, and and just the how cool that is that uh, that sushi's the thing. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think the big reason why Sazai was chosen is because um, not only are they, they serving really great sushi, but they're doing it in a way that's responsible. Um, it's all sustainable seafood. That is the um, the core of the business. The chef, Hajime Sato, who's also the founder of the restaurant, um, you know, he's really passionate about making sure that if if he is serving sushi and he's serving seafood, he's doing it in a way that's not going to impact our planet negatively, which is something that, um, you know, I talk about this in the story a little bit, but yeah, in, in California, when um, where the birth of American seafood sort of happened in, I think it was the 70s or maybe 80s, um, it, 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 it um, increased our appetite for sushi in a way that started to become problematic for the environment. So when you see things like bluefin tuna on a menu, um, that's not the greatest thing because bluefin is now um, an endangered species. So what, what Hajime is doing at Sozai is just being really mindful of the impact of overfishing, um, 
and the impact of, you know, our, our, our appetite for seafood and how, how we're contributing to those factors. So, um, yeah, so it's about really great food at Sazai, but it's also about a bigger mission, which I think is really impressive. Yeah, I, th- I thought, you know, that, by the way, if, if you haven't checked out uh, Lindsay's story on the restaurant of the year, uh, so Zai, it's really a very good, interesting story. And it, it really encapsulates, I, I really was taken with um, the nature of uh, the playfulness. You know, I think you called the chef uh, playful and rebellious. Um, it was a really cool story. And, and I loved how the whole thing, like you you get there at a little bit before five. No, no, you have to wait till 5.03. <laughs> And yes, it says it on the website, 503. And then if someone comes and lets you in and the whole thing, he's a, he's a ceramic artist too, and makes right. the flatware and all that. And right. it's just a fun, you know, cool story. I, I, I'm not a sushi person, but I'm looking forward to, you know, after the pre-press, you know, in five or six months when I can get a reservation, uh, you know, going to eat there. But, uh, but I like the whole, I, I like the whole, um, uh, you know, there, there seemed to be a sort of a, an appreciation for the the excitement of eating and the playfulness and Shelby was another restaurant, right? The speakeasy, you know, that's fronted by a coffee shop and there's a secret door, you know, and years ago I read about a, a place, uh, Crips dogs in the East village in New York. And, you know, there's a, you have to go through a phone booth to get to the, to the, re- mm-hmm. to the bar or whatever. Um, I, I love that kind of playful nature. Um, surprise. What, what, but I want to ask you, Lindsay, what, what do you value most or one of the, some of the more, important things that you value in a dining experience? What do you look for? Not not as a pro, but just as a person going out to eat, what, what do you look for? Yeah, I think for me, a really big thing, first and foremost, before I even get, you know, before I even order a meal is the ambiance. It is kind of the experience for me. You know, I'm, I'm a creative, I'm a person who likes to be um, in a, you know, a beautiful space that, that just sort of is my nature. And so, um, I do really look at the detail of, you know, whether a place is well-designed or if there's, I don't know if there are just interesting pieces of the space that kind of, you know, capture my, my attention. I think that would probably be first. And then obviously it's, it's all about the food. So, um, you know, I just want a great, (laughs) a great dish, I think is going to be the next thing to catch my attention. What are, what are some of the you know, obviously I, you know you ranked them you know or maybe you didn't I don't know maybe this is the way they came out but the the top ten new best restaurants what are uh, some of your 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 favorite bites out of that list Oh, that's a good question. So I would the first that comes to mind and this isn't in any order I'm just really thinking what's most memorable. So the first. Um, dish would be, I mean, anything at Baobab Fair, which was number one on the list of 10 best new restaurants. Um, it's an East African restaurant in, in Detroit. It's in the Milwaukee Junction neighborhood. Um, great story, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, they, they have a great story. They're, um, they're, the owners are refugees from Burundi and came here and started their business. And they've been really, really um, successful, but because they're serving such great food. So um, for me, I'm half Puerto Rican. My mom's family is from Puerto Rico. And so their food feels really familiar to me. So when I eat things like rice dishes and beans and, you know, sweet plantains to me, that really just feels like home. And so I think that that's really memorable for me and and stewed. I, I just love stewed, um, stewed cooking and almost everything they do there is stewed. So it's like, you know, they've got stewed beef, they've got stewed chicken, they even have, you know, stewed vegetables. So that just feels like 
comforting to me. Um, and the second one would be Madam. So the pastry chef at Madam, which is in Birmingham at the new Daxton Hotel, is just, I mean, he is brilliant. His name is Duncan Spangler, and he is just, he, he's brilliant. I mean, it really is. I talk about in the piece that um, the, the space is really uh, um, artsy. It just, they're, they're, it really is centered on art. There are paintings throughout the space, and um, that that's a big focus for them. But on the plate, when it comes to desserts, I mean, he really is an artist. So I'm thinking of, um, he, he made this really beautiful dish that had shards of white chocolate on top. And again, it's just this construction that's really, really beautiful, but also just delicious. And I remember posting it on Instagram and getting, you know, 20 people responding saying, where's, you know, where's that from? What is that? So um, it really just is artwork. <laughs> well, real quickly, Carlos, if, if I may, Lindsay, do you feel, a, let me, let me rephrase this. How much responsibility and weight do you feel? Because your choices affect businesses, right? I mean, they, I mean, the, the, the weight of the, of, of what you say and the weight of the institution you know, we're, we're all working for here can really sway dollars to one place over another. And I'm, I'm curious how much you, you feel that. You know, it's really funny. Um, I feel it now because I am getting a lot of responses from, from even, you know, some of the chefs on the list have said, we, we feel it. We have, you know, during a time where it would be pretty slow, we actually are, are booked out and we have people who we can hear just chatters of, oh, I heard about this place from the 10 best new restaurants list. I came in here because of the free press. <laughs> so it's not something that I actually had in mind as I was working on the pieces, which was maybe a little naive, but <laughs> which, but I, but I'm actually happy about that because it's not something that impacted my writing. I don't know, maybe next year it will. Um, but right now it's been really positive to see how, how I was sort of an influence. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of happy about that. Yeah, that was, uh, it, it's funny because that's, that's something that a, a long time ago when Roast opened in the Weston and the book Cadillac Hotel, we'd been Michael Simon fans for a long time. And uh, we were like, oh, we'll go one day. We'll go to uh, his restaurant in Cleveland and everything. And we hadn't done it. And we heard it was opening and it was like, oh, we should go there. But it opened or don't. No, it didn't open, but it it had opened for a few months. And my wife's uh, birthday is right around Valentine's Day. So it's always hard to get a reservation. But I thought, oh, let's do it. Yeah. And um, wouldn't you know, the Free Press decided that year to name it the restaurant of the year. And luckily, they had a really good online reservation system. I think I got on at 8 a.m. And I was like, oh, my God. And we got a reservation. And then you couldn't get a weekend reservation for months. So be careful. You have a lot of power, Lindsay. Oh, man. No pressure. <laughs> Lindsay, do you feel um, – and I know you've been you, – you worked at Hour Magazine, right? You, 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 came, you came to us from there, I guess, more or less. Yeah. And you said you've been here in Detroit for five years, but do you feel, um, I mean, obviously the scene has changed a lot, the restaurant scene, the food scene in, in the city in general, but do, but do you feel it? Because I assume you still travel out in the world or the rest of the country and, yeah. and eat and so forth. Can I just back up for, for one second? I have traveled a lot for work <clears throat> the last 20, 25 years, and I love to eat and I've eaten all over the country. And there's always been good stuff to eat in Detroit. Always, 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 always. But a, but a lot of the stuff was more, it might be from a group of folks that, that came from Iraq and you go get a kebab or maybe it's a shawarma or whatever. But Carl's mentioned the pizza. The, the, the buddies, they're, they're very specific things that, that have popped up. 
what to me has changed, and this I guess is, gets to my question to you, is the mashup of stuff and the folks. Like I remember going to Mission Chinese in San Francisco ten years ago, and I remember thinking, you know, oh God, I'm I'm looking forward to the day when our area starts to get that kind. Of, you mentioned the word creative and inventive and 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 different mixing mixing of you know Korean, Japanese, American, and all that. And you mentioned with the, the couple from Burundi, but do you do you feel that? Do you do you sense that that we have not turned a corner, but we are pivoting in in our area now where we're getting bits and parts and pieces from all over the world and, and mixed together in new, interesting Detroit kind of ways? You know, I do in a way. Um, I talked about this a little bit in the piece on Baobab Fair where they have really introduced a totally new cuisine to our area. I think we've had, you know, Ethiopian restaurants a bit, um, but but nothing from Burundi, which is similar, but, but it's, you know, it still is a new ish cuisine for us. Um, So in that sense, you do see restaurants popping up like that. I mean, if you look at the rest of the list, though, it is sort of predominantly new American. That's sort of something that I'm seeing a lot of new American, right, which is great. um, But I do think that there's room for more. And again, you know, I'm coming from, again, I was in Chicago before Detroit and I'm from New York. And so I'm used to a really diverse or really diverse dining scenes. And so I, I, I would push for Detroit to become even more diverse. I mean, again, you know, mentioning that I'm half Puerto Rican, I would love to see more Caribbean restaurants pop up in the area. And again, we've seen a few, there was a um, a Jamaican restaurant that opened in 2020, which is out in Pontiac. Um, and there are a few Jamaican restaurants here. And, and we have a Puerto Rican restaurant in Southwest. And I, there's also a, a Dominican restaurant in Southwest. But those are one-offs, you know. I would love to see it diversify, I think, even further. Um, we saw a few Japanese restaurants open between 2020 and 21. Um, we've seen a few, you know, Chinese sort of inspired restaurants. We, we, we see those kinds of things, but they're still within, um, you know what I mean? We're, we're still within the pockets that we kind of already have. So I I think there's room for growth, but yeah, I think we are seeing some one-offs. And then I think what's really nice is to see those restaurants become so successful. So like a Baobab Fair, they're so successful because, it doesn't exist. You know, that's, that's where the excitement comes is, is when we're introduced to something new. And I think Detroiters want to be introduced to something new because what we have here is so rich and we appreciate it so much, but we want more. And and when we get it, I think we're, we're willing and happy to support. Like, like super crisp, right? We talked about this with uh, Omar Sankofa, who is our, who covers the Pistons for us. Yeah. We just eaten the, you know, which is the, the part of Ema or Ima, excuse me, and there's Japanese influence there, and then you could argue a little south or any place that flattens out meat and breads it, which is about all over the world and fries it, right? But yeah, but yeah, so it, that's been fun. I'm sorry, Carlos. One more quick question, Lindsay. Yeah. you're talking about the new American. Do you find that that's reaching the level of some of these other places you've lived or, or traveled to? Um, the, the the quality, like I. I'm, the name escapes me. There's a seafood restaurant out in Ferndale that was a big splash a few years ago. Um, Is it Voyager? Yes, Voyager. And I remember the first time I ate there, I thought, you know what? I could be in the, in the West Village right now. Yeah, yeah. You, you know what I mean? The, that that level. Like there's a place called Mary's Fish Camp in New York City that I love. I go to every time. And it's it's the, I felt that way at the Voyager. I'm curious if you feel that. You know, I try to 
Um, I try to be careful with that because I think that um, New American can be kind of tricky. I think that um, if we start to compare to places like a New York or bigger markets, I don't know. I don't know how successful they'll be in Detroit. I think I, I'm just careful of restaurants that are really trying to take a New York or California sort of model and bring it here um, because our market is unique and it is really nuanced. And, and so you have to really think if we're, if we're talking about just the food um, I think that, you know, for example, a lot of the restaurants that are on this year's list are really successful because they're serving really great food. But if you're trying to pluck a genre and just say, hey, I want to open a new American restaurant like what I experienced in New York and bring it here. A lot of times that translation is, you know, um, what do you call them? Like garage style doors. And, you know, um, a lot of it is speaking <laughs> yeah. for like, you know, the ambiance and um um, you know, what you end up with is like crab cakes on the menu and like a salmon and, you know, a blackened salmon. And that's not super exciting. So I'm careful to say that new American restaurants here are measuring up to a place like New York. I think, um, I think the new American restaurants that we are opening up here are, have been great. And there are quite a few of them, um, on this year's list, if that answers your question. <laughs> no, it yeah, I was just thinking, and that's a great point, and you're right. We, uh, let's be done with crab cakes, although they're delicious, <laughs> especially at Fadley's Market in Baltimore. But, uh, <laughs> but and, yeah, and black and salmon, uh, no. Well, I, I would say let's get back to whitefish, but I think there's some environmental issues. Yeah. Remember, it was all over the place in the yeah. 90s around here. Yeah. Even Carlos probably ate some whitefish 20, 20, 25 years ago. Right, Carlos? Lindsay, I think you're understanding that Sean's job is just a ruse for him to travel and eat. I mean, he, he kind of does the writing thing on the side, but it's like he just wants to drop names of all the cool places he's been to. Um, I like it. You've been to more places than I have, he's, I think. He's been, oh, when we were in L.A. early this year, he was an animal. He couldn't, you couldn't stop him. He was going everywhere. Um, That's great. Hey, so so one. My, I went to get a beef dip. What's so exciting? Yeah, about you that? didn't invite me. Um, so anyway, the the my big my my two questions for you are one privately, um, email me your favorite uh, place where I can get jerk chicken. Um, so you can tell me that okay. later. Um, and uh, also, why is that a secret? Because I don't want anybody else to know. That's why I want it to we'll keep it for it. myself. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God! You I'll, I'll let you know. Mm. I'll, I'll pass it. I'll forward it to you, Sean. And my other question okay. is just. But what? I mean, spoiler. Just a spoiler here. I have not been blown away yet. Quite honestly. Yeah. I, right. Again, I think that we need. We need. We. We can do better in that space. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes, we can. <laughs> All right, and my other thing is, what's your what's your guilty pleasure food? What's your I, it's your go-to whatever, not highfalutin. What's your comfort go-to like dining out experience? Yeah. Well, again, it really is that Caribbean, that Caribbean style food. So like, you know, rice dishes, um, um, I mean, anything Caribbean just about, I, I will find myself at a, at a Jamaican spot. I will find myself at a, you know, Puerto Rican or, or Dominican spot. Um, again, they're, they're kind of limited here, but that, that to me is, is comfort for sure. And no, I don't I'm, feel I'm talking today. McDonald's. I'm not talking that I'm oh, talking no. churches, chicken or which Sean will eat anything. I can't oh, even go there with him, but you know, like a burger, just something, something for the common folk like me. 
I mean, I hate to disappoint, but that to me is like, you know, it's that not, you know, it's not like it's pretty. I'm, I'm going and I'm getting take out that, you know, that to me is it. I don't know. I don't really have a, uh, definitely not fast food is not comfort. I feel awful after. I, I do too, That's but part of the I experience. do too, but I do too. I do too. But Popeye's or KFC's? Oh, Popeye's. Okay. See, yeah, now you can come back. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not, I know it's not even close. No, so no other, so so no other guilty pleasures. No, other than, uh, I mean, because stew, stews and all that. I mean, that, that that's a labor of, a love. I made a pot roast the other day, and it took seven hours, right? Yeah, no, it is. So, I mean, it's a long process for them, but for me, it's like <laughs> done and done. <laughs> like, you know. um, what 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 other areas would you like to see us get a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, better at, or a little bit, you know, have a little bit more offerings besides the Caribbean? That's a good question. Um, you know, honestly, I feel like if we tapped into the Caribbean side of things, I feel like we'd be pretty well-rounded. I mean, we've got great African. I mean, and now we have East and West. We have, a, you know, a few Senegalese places. We've got, um, um, there's a, I think there's a Nigerian place. So I think we might be covered there. We've got, obviously, the Middle East is, is pretty covered. Um, got a lot of Asian um uh, options. I don't know. I kind of feel like we, we that might round it out, which would make me really happy. I don't know. Am I missing anything? Is there anything you guys can think of? A Colombian, maybe, or uh, you know, some. I've started to see stories about certain parts of South America. Yeah. South American food kind of work its way to various, you know, like Atlanta. I'm trying to think of cities yeah. where they're huge huge you know immigrant populations which is just making all this incredible interesting food but yeah, yeah. maybe you're, maybe you're right you know i mean we I'd have like- european even it was so one of the restaurants on the list uh barda is you know argentinian and so we kind of have that i also have a place um that's not too far from me in in gross point um and now it's escaping me oh garritos they are is it venezuelan yeah, I think it's Venezuelan. So we have arepas. Um, yeah, yeah, we've got some uh, pupuserias. So yeah, but you're right. I think I think there could be more from Central and South America. So so before we let you go, and I know we've we've kept you probably longer than we we said. I'm sorry about that. But uh, before you let you go, I, I'm curious. Do you do you like to cook? I do. Okay. What 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 do you like to cook? Um. So I kind of cook whatever is in my fridge <laughs> I, get, I know i'm really um uh, beating a dead horse with this caribbean stuff but i i if i you know can throw together a good caribbean meal at home i'll i, I do that um I, I mentioned this to uh to uh carrie over at uh, on the line but um i'd love to experiment with shrimp and grits um so i've done like mm. like you know a sweet version a sweet and savory version i've done the cheese you know cheese grits i've done a few different uh variations there so that's something that i experience experiment with it a little bit um everyone I, this sounds so basic so i kind of hate to say it but everyone loves my lasagna everyone loves my lasagna and i make it two ways make one with sausage and I make another with seafood and both of them are hits. I mean, since I, since I was in college, I've been making that and uh, everyone seems to love it. So 
but I, I don't enjoy making it. <laughs> no, that's pretty time consuming too. That's great. Hey, I have a, a, a question for you, Lindsay. Do you have a few more minutes to stick yeah. around? Yeah, I could talk I, about that. I, I, I want to propose to Carlos that we do something we've never done before. We always end our podcast with what we call our favorite thing. We think about what, what thing we enjoyed the most or a little moment. It could be, it could be anything from the previous week. And I would love to invite you into that inner sanctum and uh, we can go first and you can give you a minute or two to think about what your favorite thing was from this past week. And it could be food. I know mine's going to be food. It's not always, I promise. Okay. But, uh, but we need to take one more quick break. Okay. uh, Because we, you know, for sponsors, mostly for Carlos (laughs) and then we'll come back and we'll do that. Is that okay? Yeah, no problem. Okay. All right. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Sean Windsor, and I'd like to tell you about the new sports app we've launched as part of our USA Today family. USA Today Sports Plus is the new sports app that puts fans first. Get the latest scores, stats, and standings, and enjoy interactive experiences with our award-winning sports writers, which obviously does not include me. Download USA Today Sports Plus from the Apple or Google Play stores today. USA Today Sports Plus. Fan harder. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Um, Carlos, I have a, a, a quick question for Lindsay before we get to our favorite things, if I sure. may. Lindsay, Lindsay, are you a, a Lions fan? <laughs> say no. Say no. <laughs> Run. I think I have to say yes, right? Are no, you, you don't are have you? to. No, Sean, no. Don't feel the pressure. You say what you want. So my thing is, again, I think that what I hear is that you're not an an official Detroiter until you've been here for at least 10 years. So ask me in five years. I feel like I am not allowed to choose anything just yet. You can ask me about American versus Lafayette and you can ask me about the Lions in another five. Okay, that's fair enough. Do you do you like sports at all or no? It's okay if you don't because Carlos and I don't either. So my husband's a high school football coach, so I feel like I have to. And, he, you know, he played for Penn State. and So I am in a sports household fully. Okay. And I was a cheerleader, so I should be. But, you know, I kind of like the the culture of sports. Yeah. So 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 do we. So do we. Okay. so thanks for uh, thanks for jumping in here. Excuse me. Staying on here with our favorite thing. Yeah. Uh, Like I explained, Carlos, uh, what is yours this week, my man? Well, first, I want to just tell Lindsay that you're not really a Lions fan until they've made you cry and made you consider every life choice that's brought you to that moment. So that, that's what that's when you become a Lions fan. Um, got it. Okay, not yet. Yeah. So you got you got a ways to go. Um, all right, Sean. So my, mine is very pedestrian. I know you're probably going to make fun of me or whatever. Um, not at all. But last week, we my wife and I watched a movie called Nightmare Alley. Uh, Guillermo del Toro, he did Shape of Water. He does it, he's done a bunch of kind of like these, they're kind of like low-key horror movies sort of, but they're they're very um, thought-provoking. It was Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, Rudy Mara. And it was a very good movie. It wasn't a great movie, I wouldn't say, but it was one of these movies that just had these, you know, it was a, it was a remake of a 1947 movie. And I have liked that genre, the noir stuff. And it just had this old-timey, you know, speak that I really, that's missing. It really felt like an old movie, but with a modern take, really good performances, great dialogue. I keep, I keep saying this to my wife because um, Ron Perlman's in it. He plays a a great supporting character and he's threatening Bradley Cooper to not, you know, hurt his, uh, this, his girlfriend because he's sort of, uh, you know, sort of promised her dad, he'd take care of her, watch out for her. 
and he threatens him and he says, you know, I promise him I take care of the girl and I'm going to, I still got, and he shows him his fist and he says, I still got five good pounds of meat and bone right here. Hurt that girl, you get them all. You know, just that kind of great dialogue. And then the ending, I'm not going to give anything away, but it really makes you think at the end. It's kind of it's the kind of movie that you talk about a few days afterward. And what do you think about this? And what do you think that meant? So it's just a really good film. Um, and since we're all shut in still, we are not. I'm we're not going to the theaters yet. Um, you can see it on HBO, HBO Max. So it was it was really a fun movie. I really recommend it to everybody. So Nightmare Alley, uh, two thumbs up. Okay, is it, are you Siskel or Ebert? I'm definitely Siskel. I love Roger Ebert's okay. reviews, but I'm definitely more of the the cynic. Yeah, more of the the misanthrope. You don't yeah. like human beings. You know, I tolerate you're them. Still, you're you're upset that you're in Michigan and not in Southern I'm California a, after all these years. I'm a dog guy from L.A. What do you want? Okay, okay. Well, no, that that's nice. All right, do, do you mind do you mind if I go next? Please, please do. Because we're, we're giving we're giving Lindsay a little time to see how lame <laughs> this bit is, and then she can she can she can she can hopefully elevate it. She's going to pretend she <laughs> a, lost a, her a connection. Bit. You watch. Yeah to to use a to use a food a, a pretentious food word. She can hopefully elevate it. Um, <laughs> so so my favorite thing, Carlos and Lindsay was, uh, and I I'm sure you don't know this, uh, Lindsay, and why would you? But I I had COVID and I was out for a while and kind of got, uh, you know, the winter blues or whatever. I hadn't cooked much. And so last week I decided to start trying to cook my way out of it a little bit. Made the pot roast I referenced earlier. It was it was not bad. I've been making that for a long time, though, and it's kind of a labor of love. But I, I, I tried something not entirely new, but a little bit new for the Super Bowl. And, I, you know, the, my boys came back. I hadn't seen my youngest son in a month and a half, and it was great. Mm-hmm. And they kind of had an expectation for me to cook th- for the game. So I saw this story. I got this idea. It wasn't my idea, but I saw this story about taking the innards of a shemai uh, dumpling, like a, a little, you know, what's the uh, what's the Sunday brunch, the Chinese Sunday brunch? It's it's um, escaping me right now. What's the name? You go uh, dim sum, dim sum. It's like a, a dim sum dumpling. It's a shemai dumpling, and it's a pork and, and shrimp and so forth. Anyway, you take those those insides and you turn them into uh, sliders. And so I thought, oh, that's that's interesting. I want to try that. So I, I, the 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 trick is, I went and got some really good pork shoulder, and I had to process it up and, and chunk it up, almost like sausage. And the same for shrimp. So the whole key to this dish is, if you overprocess it, then you got paste and it's ruined. I on the first try, and it doesn't normally happen, was able to get the right consistency, and then make the patties, and it's uh, easily one of the best things we've made and had here. And a long, long time, and it was just that little act of, are you going to overprocess or not? And I was worried that I was, and I, I didn't, and and there you go. So that sounds really good. That was yeah, it, it, it was. You know, and I've had ginger and garlic and a little soy and uh, a little fish sauce, a little sugar to balance out the fish sauce. But yeah, that was. Uh, and then on a little bun with a little cabbage, and I pickled some onions, uh, red onions, and um, yeah, it was good. Lindsay, that sounds impressive. Lindsay, you're going to, if you listen to this podcast um, long enough, you'll understand that the running theme of this is Sean and his wife make amazing food and I'm never invited to try it. So uh, yeah, I, I, great, great description, Sean. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'll, I'll never, I'll never know the pleasure of it. You're, you're, you're always invited, but you know what I mean? It's just, it's that moment where you're not sure if you can do something and are you going to go too far or not? Or it's like when we write or whatever. Of course, you, you all both write a lot better than I do, but it's, it's it getting in that moment. And every now and again, you 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 hit it, and it's okay. So, in any case, what about you, Lindsay? What's your favorite thing? So, I actually, it's funny. It's not um, 
from a cooking standpoint, but I think it's kind of the same sentiment, Sean. I think that, um, so this ties back to work, which I hope is okay, but obviously we released the list um, and and the restaurant of the year and, and getting feedback from that has been really rewarding for me. And so, um, I mean, to your point of like, you know, I, I sit here and I write and I write and I write, I wrote 13 stories for this piece. And, um, you hope that you're going to get it right. And you hope that you're going to be successful at this. Obviously it's my first, I've done a restaurant of the year for, for, um, our Detroit in the past, but, um, I, obviously it's my first one for the free press. And so you hope that you're going to, you're going to do it well and getting the feedback from really from a combination of, of, of readers and, um, you know, folks who were on the list and, um, um, even just getting kind of a shout out from from Mark Kurlianchik, who was the former uh, restaurant critic at the Free Press, has been really nice to feel like, oh, man, I wasn't sure, but I did it. You know, I did it. And it was it was well received. I think my intention going into to, to these articles uh, or these reviews was that I really wanted to first and foremost capture the essence of the restaurants and what they're doing both in the kitchen and beyond. And I wanted to really make sure that I was doing that honestly and representing each one of the restaurants correctly. Um, and so to, to get some feedback from chefs that said, man, you've really got what we're trying to do here, or you've really got what, you know, what's most important to us here. That was really nice to hear. Um, and from readers hearing, you know, just this warm welcome of, man, we're so happy to have you uh, as, as the restaurant critic for the free press has been really rewarding. So that was really my favorite part um, from last year. But yeah, I think it's kind of kind of similar. It's like you try to do something, you hope you hope it works out, you hope for the best, and then you get the response. And it's like, man, okay, I did it. <laughs> well, that, that, that's awesome and well-deserved and we're lucky to have you. And by the way, Carlos, you want to change your favorite thing after that one? <laughs> my favorite thing? No. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know. I didn't know. I have to I mean, write you know, about food. I, mean, yeah. I have to talk about food. You're, 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 you're no, peer no, no. pressuring you, me. You, you, no, no. You saw a fun movie. Okay, that's great. Uh, no, no, no. I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I no, would have been, Lindsay, well, would have been uh, eating your food, but I wasn't invited. You're always in. Mm. You're all. You're 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 always mm-hmm. invited. Mm-hmm. Well, you made me want to watch the movie, so there's that. Yeah, exactly. Carl, Carlos has a Carlos has a way with words. He's 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 gifted that way. So. <laughs> Well, Carlos, do you have any do you have any last questions? Uh, because we've gone way past what our producers uh, <laughs> want, but you know what? It's our show, right, Carlos? Yeah. Just what's what's coming up for you next, Lindsay? Is there anything we can look forward to a review or any other project you're working on that uh, you can uh, tease? Yeah, it's actually two things. Um, so one is that this week I'm working on a piece. You know, um, for 2020, the Free Press obviously had to do something different um, in terms of the 10 best new restaurants and restaurant of the year list um, because of COVID. And so they did Food Fighters, which really just shouted out restaurateurs and chefs who were um, giving back and, you know, feeding frontline workers and and, and folks in need, um, which was a really great package. And, and this package actually tried to sort of bridge, um, you know, the traditional standard of, of restaurant of the year, but also, you know, bringing in that same energy of food fighters and, and celebrating um, folks that are giving back in some way. But 
Um, what kind of got lost was that restaurants that opened in 2020, because there were restaurants that opened in 2020, um, kind of missed the boat a little bit, right? And so they didn't have the opportunity to uh, get their shine. You know, and some restaurants might have made a traditional list last year, but didn't have the opportunity. So I'm working on a piece on some restaurants that opened in 2020 um, that really deserve some recognition. Um, so there are going to be three to four restaurants in that piece that's coming out this week. Um, and, you know, moving forward in terms of just getting, getting back to doing traditional reviews, um, I do have a place that I'm really excited about, um, trying not to give away too much information on it, but it is a, a central South American restaurant. Um, you know, we kind of talked about that a little bit in our conversation. So something that's kind of a, it's, it's a little bit of a hole in the wall, but it's, it's a real gem that hasn't been talked about, which I'm really surprised by. I haven't seen any coverage on it in the free press and, you know, in other publications, I just haven't really seen it. So I'm excited to introduce people to that, but they've been around for like 15 years. Oh, so wow. Wow. yeah, wow. So I'm, I'm excited for that one. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, share that with you once that's out. Oh, that's awesome. Well, that, that, yeah, that sounds great. We, we look forward to that. And again, uh, the free press is very, very lucky to have you. We were lucky to have you today. Thanks for joining us. Let's all agree that over the course of the next couple of months, you, you all come over here for some barbecue. I'll, I'll smoke some, some beef ribs and we'll pull yeah. it and put it in tacos or something. We'll yeah. go over to Carlos for what Carlos, some, some chicken breast. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then we're going to go to chicken nuggets and we're going to go to Lindsay's or I hope some mafungo part. Uh, that's a, <laughs> Puerto, yeah. Puerto Rican. That's a Puerto Rican dish, Carlos. Yes. So, I about, so if we could just agree and, and we'll do that and I, I think I think that'd be good I think that sounds good don't judge me on my rice I'm still still <laughs> trying to master the rice no it's rice is one of the trickiest <laughs> things to cook in the world you're right it's so, so hard it's yeah. really hard it's yeah. it's it's really hard for sure the simple things are often the the most difficult but thank you again Lindsay uh, this is this has been great uh, Carlos again great hanging out with you this week by the way really good stuff this this past week Carlos thank you Sean you too on, uh, I, uh, I enjoyed reading you. You know, very provocative as always, and that was fun. Uh, who, do, who do we need to thank here, Carlos? We need to thank Tad Davis for making this possible, for being patient and letting us talk for four or five hours or whatever it's been. <laughs> we want to thank uh, Anjanette Delgado. Sorry, we only mentioned it once earlier, Anjanette, <laughs> but uh, thank you for making this possible. Kirkland Crawford, the sports editor, and, of course, Peter Batia, the executive editor. Uh, if you like the show, you know, rate us. Tell us what you think. If you don't like it, tell us what you think, too, and we'll have more guests on like we did this week. Uh, you know, it's going to be hard to top these two guests but uh, with Dave and Lindsay, but we'll, we'll try to make a point of that, too, if y'all want. You can find us wherever you find your favorite podcasts, at Spotify, Apple, uh, uh, those sorts of places. Again, thank you for taking time, for spending a little uh, time listening to us prattle on this week. It's been great. We will see you next week. Yeah.